0: Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional a sales leader, are just starting out, you're going to find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. Dr. Yakemi Ataro is co-founder at Decaro Limited, an inspirational voice in the world of sales, and a great success story. She is a global scout, an avid supporter of women in business, and a mentor for businesswomen in the world's poorest countries. An engineer by her initial training, she has taken a journey through technical sales, digital marketing, and business ownership, and she has a stellar grasp on how to drive revenue and build companies across industries. In September of 21, Yakemi was appointed chancellor and awarded an honorary doctorate at the University of the West of Scotland. In addition, she recently won Social Entrepreneur of the Year at the fourth Scottish Women's Awards and Small Business Entrepreneur of the Year at the Great British Entrepreneur Awards. Welcome, Yakemi, to the program. Uh, so, hey, you have a pretty unique background in getting into sales. Do you mind sharing a li- uh, that a
1: little bit with us? Yeah. So, I mean, I never thought I'd get into sales. I, I spent most of my career avoiding <laughs> sales, to be honest. <laughs> I started life as an engineer. So I have two engineering degrees one in chemical engineering and a master's degree in petroleum engineering. And I started in in the oil and gas industry, being a reservoir engineer, did some production engineering, mainly around software and modeling software. But it just came a point where I saw there was a gap in terms of how technical folk were able to communicate what they were doing and that whole idea of taking complex ideas and making them engaging and accessible for the decision makers really cuz often the decision makers that we were trying to get to were not technical folk and so going down a rabbit hole talking about features and functions and formulas wasn't quite the way to go i was fortunate to have a manager who saw that i was i was good with people and i had interests outside engineering and so she started taking me to you know presentations with clients and doing climate demos. I spent a lot of time working one-on-one with clients, which was different from what my engineering uh, colleagues were doing. And just over time, I became more and more commercial and then moved into technical sales where my technical knowledge is still really important there because I work closely with account managers. and stepped in at that point where the, the, the prospect was asking questions around how something worked I wanted to look at a pilot and a bit more information about you know, the technical detail of the product, which was, was software uh, at that time in my career. And so from technical sales, I then moved into, into marketing. Uh, I did an MBA and sort of moved into marketing, strategic marketing, and started to see the links between you know, selling and how we create messages and propositions how we understand what's coming next for the the client. So fast forward to maybe the last 10 years or so, I then became an entrepreneur started my own kind of content marketing agency, working again with technical companies because these were the companies that I understood and understood me. And I felt that there was certainly a gap there with their understanding of how to communicate complex ideas. Um, And so about four and a half years ago, I've merged my business with Sarah Downs, who had her own business, really working um, around business development and that sales side. And I was working marketing and we had been collaborating quite a lot over an 18-month period. And, And she, as we say, she popped the question and asked what I thought about, you know, perhaps merging. Because I was frustrated with some of the work I was doing because there was a sales gap, right? Because no matter how great your marketing is, if you're not Doing the sales side, you don't have the sales funnel, and there's no one, you know, almost at, at the end of that to catch the baby, then the marketing doesn't work. And vice versa. I was doing a lot of work around sales and business development on the ground and finding that the messaging did not align, the website wasn't quite up to date, understanding all the value proposition and really putting in that marketing effort to make sales less laborious wasn't there. And so we came together to Create that full value chain to make sure that companies could align sales and marketing. And and we've evolved into a sales enablement consultancy. So that's the background I'm coming from. And so I wear the sales hat as an entrepreneur, really responsible along with Sarah for sales in our organization, but also working alongside our clients to help them drive more predictable sales performance.
0: So take me through from engineering to marketing to sales to entrepreneurship. What is the the common thread there? What is what is the thing that ties it all together for you?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. I think it's really around identifying gaps and opportunities and standing ready to solve those problems, right? So in engineering, it was always about, it was about that. It was about identifying problems, um, opportunities that no one had seen that they could leverage, and then stepping in to, to solve the problem. And I found the same with marketing it was always about listening Um, and i think with marketing in particular not a lot of marketing is listening that makes sense and so when you are listening and and kind of understanding those pain points you do stand out from other marketers quite a bit because Mm -hmm. marketing can be can be quite fluffy and then the sales piece as well you know it's all about listening otherwise you end up bamboozling um, your prospect and you know, and I know we'll come to the whole kind of perception and reality piece, but you know, it's really about making sure that you're solving a problem that actually exists and is worth solving rather than a prospect feeling like you're forcing them down a path that they would not want to take. And you're trying to solve a problem that is really not really there or really they're okay, they can live with it, right? It's really about finding that cost benefit balance.
0: And so, in that journey, is there Uh, I know there's different mediums that you use to communicate like through marketing and that, but did you find that you mentioned a number of times this idea of taking, making the complex simple, right. And being able to communicate it. Like, is there a difference in how you'd be communicating like when you were in engineering and you found you needed to dive in and communicate really well versus marketing or versus sales, or are you finding that it's all around this idea of gap identification and and then the ability to just talk human about it instead of necessarily talk, talk engineer about it or talk bits and bytes.
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to who you're talking to. So if I'm talking to other engineers, for instance, which I still do from time to time, there is some detail that I do need to provide that I wouldn't provide necessarily if I was talking to, say, um, a senior manager who isn't highly technical but cares about something different. So I'll give an example. A few years ago, we are working um, on the messaging for a piece of software. And often, there are different audiences for that software. So you've got the decision maker, who's usually an engineering manager of some kind, or business manager. And then you've got the user of the software that tended to be a geologist or petrophysicist or, you know, a reservoir engineer. They were actually the ones using it. But often in that sales conversation, several touch points, And so we use the analogy internally to help us get the right messaging and how to communicate this. We use the analogy of a duck on water, right? If you've got a duck on water, it looks effortless. It looks like it's just gliding um, on the surface of the water, but inside it's paddling like crazy, right? To stay afloat. And from the surface, you can't actually see those those feet. And so we use the analogy that the actual duck on the water is representative of of the decision maker. You know, that... Um, particular image represents, you know, the fact that decision makers would care about cost effectiveness, the learning curve. Um, you know, is it going to reduce my costs, profitability, things like that. Those are the kind of things that they care about. The bottom line, right? Um, they don't want a piece of software that is going to maybe be a steep learning curve where their engineers are literally trying to learn this for months and months, and so you know, productivity drops or profitability drops, right? But when you're having a conversation with a decision maker, you want to speak about what we started calling duck words. And then underneath the water, you've got the feet paddling like crazy, right? Which that's what the end user cares about. They're engineers. They don't care about profitability. They don't care about the costs really because it's not really their money, is it? So at the end of the day, they would be caring more about accuracy, the robustness of the calculations and, and, the, and whether they're going to get answers that actually help them reach their end goals. And so, when you're talking to those people, you want to be talking more definitively about how something works, and you want to be talking more about, you know, other use cases and providing credibility about around those calculations. And once they're happy, then it's the next step, right? Because the decision maker, while they hold the wallet, they will confer with their technical colleagues and go, you know, it's going to give us the right answers. We're going to be, you know, on the right track, right? We're going to be accurate and robust with our calculations, and once they get the nod, then you're more likely to make a sale. So it's about understanding the different decision makers and understanding what to say to who and what they care about, because you could have one product, but actually different decision makers. And we're seeing that more and more. We've got HR that's involved in something. You've also got engineering guys looking at it. Also got marketing. You have to be able to decomplex it. Not just in terms of telling the story, but actually knowing what message is more important for which group.
0: I, that's that's a brilliant analogy. An, yeah, I'm going to stick. That's a great <laughs> word. Analogy, brilliant analogy. Uh, or is that a metaphor? Oh man, I'm mixing it all up. Uh, but anyhow, I like that duck on the water. So you're you're you've been able to dive into marketing too. What what always fascinates me is sometimes people people try to sell the duck through marketing and mm. say we should only look like the duck but uh, tell me about your experience there because sometimes i think we as well need to show a little bit of the paddle uh, when we market but i it's it's just enough to communicate right it's not necessarily everything it's just enough to communicate how do how do you go about mm. solving that problem
1: yeah no it's a great question um and again it depends on who you're talking to right so I like to talk about things as level one or level two or level three information, right? So, for instance, when you talk about value propositions, I like to think of them as a level one, you know, communication piece. So, you go on a website and the words that show up there are, you know, we help small businesses, you know, manage the payroll challenges so that they can reduce costs and improve staff retention for example. And and that's kind of level one. It's not telling you even what they they actually do. It could be a genie in a lamp. It could be an app. It could be a virtual assistant. You don't actually know at this point what it is that that company is providing. And I think that's where the whole doc thing comes from. Those are the words that you could use easily to engage a decision maker or someone on a management level because they're like, oh, so how can you help me solve that problem? Being an engineer myself, I know how frustrated I get when people try to almost get to the finish line of a sale just with level one information. I understand that it's a door opener, but when I start asking you questions around how you do that, what methodology you're you're using, and providing me some detailed examples, a case study around how you've done this for a client and some of the outcomes then it's quite frustrating for someone who is on the more technical side if you keep providing really abstract information. And so we always start with level one information. And once we understand who we're speaking to, then we start going in depth. And I think the problem comes, especially with marketing, that people feel quite frustrated that sometimes marketing just stops right there. And once you start scratching, it feels like there's nothing underneath the surface of that and that's why marketing can't really operate in a silo i mean marketing needs to work closely with the engineers they need to work closely with the customer support folks they need to work closely with the people you know making the software the software developers because at the end of the day marketing is not meant to be technically um minded you know but they are meant to know where to get the information from so i totally get what you're saying that, that marketing piece tends to just focus on the doc we should absolutely have a line of sight to the water as well and be able to provide that information depending on who we're engaging with in the process
0: well, i'm going to take you down another uh, road because i think i ask everybody the first time the first time they come on this to to define sales and i'm mm-hmm. hearing a lot of a lot of from your background i'm hearing a lot of just the word that comes to my mind is translation Right, is being able to identify and understand and translate for the audience, and that takes a lot of, a lot of listening, a lot of understanding. It also takes a lot of background and knowledge. So, how do you? But how do you define? Like, if you're going to go into an organization, how do you define the act of selling and sales?
1: I would define sales as a, sales as a process, right? And it's a process that it should lead to the exchange of value. Uh, and sometimes sales does not necessarily lead to the exchange of value which in my mind doesn't make it sales right it should lead to the exchange of values uh, of value i mean between the the seller and the buyer and those activities that make up that process include things like understanding and identifying what that Challenges, and often a, a prospect might come to you with what they think is a challenge, but actually is the symptom of something else that's going on within the organization, right? Because they're not experts, that's why they've come to you. So I think as a salesperson, as part of that process, is being able to ask you know enough questions and great questions and be able to to challenge to really get to the bottom of what is actually going on in the organization and understand what those pain points are, and through that process, build trust, build rapport. And build relationships that ultimately leads to you being able to solve that challenge or, or you know, a problem within, within the organization. So it, it's a process of activities that leads to the exchange of value. And if you're not providing value um, to your prospect, then you need to question that whole process and, and where things are falling down and whether you are identifying enough or probing enough um, and whether you're building enough trust and enough rapport so that you can have long-term relationships. And the best sales is where you build a relationship such that they keep coming back and or they tell people about the value that they've gotten from you. And so you build this kind of virtual cycle, virtual cycle of they keep coming back or people in their network keep coming back to you. So for me, that's sales. And you know, we can go down the road of good sales and bad sales um, because sometimes you sell something and. You may know that what you've actually sold either you know the product isn't really what you've you know you've said it is, for instance, or the, the the client doesn't actually need what you've sold. Maybe it was a bit you know you've used a sledgehammer to kill you know to kill a fly type thing, and it's really a calling on salespeople to to reflect on are you actually providing value within this conversation? Um, and again, I know we'll touch on um, perception and, and reality, but. I think a lot of prospects fear that they're not going to get the value that you've promised. And I think that as part of the definition of sales, it should be a criteria that you are providing value.
0: So in your mind, there is a massive difference between selling and sales and transactions and persuasion is what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, how do we? Let's go dive into that perception of reality, perception versus reality. I know a lot of your work is dealing with this uh, on the research level, like this idea of the perception versus what actually of salespeople versus the reality of salespeople in market. There have been years and years and millions of transactions <laughs> that have occurred, right? That have been, that have occurred in the the persuasion to transact model, essentially, okay. right? So I, because I know everything as a salesperson, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need and you get to trust me regardless of what that is and just buy, give me your 16 digits on the credit card and buy. <laughs> I hear nothing of that in your definition. So how, how do we, what are you finding in terms of the per- perception of salespeople in the market right now because of those transactions, because of a lot of that history? But how do people? How are salespeople perceived?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really good one, and I have to say, I mean, my definition of sales is how I see the world of sales, and it's from watching salespeople throughout my career, working closely with salespeople, looking, watching how other people are doing sales, and feeling like, gosh, I don't want to do it that way. It doesn't quite feel right, and I think it's it's been fine for for many years, but especially in the last three or four years, especially with the pandemic. What I've found is a switch where people can't sell the way they used to anymore. Um, sales is far more proactive than reactive. So you have to identify these pain points and you have to engage. Um, and I know there's a different type of sales maybe would be to see where people ring you up and make an order. I want five of that. I want six of that. And that's different from the sort of sales we're talking about. We're talking about kind of B2B sales, generally quite complex sales like software, piece of kit you know, consultancy, that kind of thing. And so in the research that we've been doing over the last few months, we've been speaking to specifically B2B sales and specifically companies in technical sectors like manufacturing, engineering, and energy. And and quite small companies, you know, in the grand scheme of things, just over 20 employees is the smallest company we've spoken to and, and a couple of companies that are kind of in the thousands. And what we found is that sales is still a function that, people are skeptical about. They they worry that salespeople have a certain set of behaviors that might not necessarily jive with their culture. For instance, we heard from a couple of companies. Most companies will still prefer to hire from their personal network and people that, that they know, especially when it comes to sales, just because of this kind of perception of high risk with salespeople. So they will still hire people from their network. And this this view that salespeople care about money and they'll do mostly about money and they'll do whatever they need to do to to make the sale. And so they prefer this group of people that they trust, which I get, you know, at the end of the day, if you can hire someone from your personal network that you you know and trust, that's fine. But what we're also finding is that people are compromising actual sales skills over and above, oh, they're nice, um, they're good with people, but actually do they have sales competencies? Tends to be... Overlooked. So this perception that you can bring in someone who is nice, someone who you know, and that will be just fine. And that's not necessarily the case. I think looking at just your personal network and people that you know really shrinks your talent pool. And so we are finding out with these SMEs that the talent pool is really small. I mean, it's already small, but it's even smaller because it's just okay, people people that we know. Also, this perception that salespeople should be able to hit the ground running when they join an organization. Um, that you know they come with a black book of contacts, and by just calling everyone from you know A to Z, that you know, that's how the business is going to grow. And what's really interesting is that those companies that are reliant on sales to meet their monthly revenue, so it's not like they, you know, if you make, I don't know, one million. Pounds a month, for instance, if your um, costs are covered by that, that's fine. But a lot of these companies they need to sell every month to be able to to cover the costs. So maybe the recurring revenue is something like fifty or sixty percent of what they actually earn. So they need to sell that 40% every month. We find that those sort of companies where there is that pressure to sell every month, they are actually the, the companies that are least likely to be offering training to their um, salespeople for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, it is, it's high pressure. Um, salespeople don't have time to embark on sales training. Those kind of things mean that they're unlikely to be investing in, in sales training. I just don't have time. There's no time for it. So the idea that salespeople don't need support, that they don't need training, they don't need support, and onboarding is not a common thing, especially in the small organizations that have, say, 100 employees or less. Onboarding is not something that they offer. I find that really odd because when you hire a new engineer or somebody in customer support or an HR, there's some level of training and support. But I think with sales, there's this perception that yeah, you come in and you you already know some people, you're good with folks, so just go off and speak to people, where the reality is that they also need support. And if sales is the lifeblood of your organization, which I think it is in any organization, even if you're a charity, you're selling a vision, you're selling an idea, you're trying to get people to donate to something, to care about something. So this function that is the lifeblood of your organization, why aren't you providing um, support? And training the way you would for for other functions so there is a big gap between that perception of what sales is and what sales needs and the reality of it
0: i think yeah and i i uh you know i was a little tongue-in-cheek earlier when i was talking about this idea of persuasion plus uh transaction right but i actually think that is it is how many people understand right It it is how many people understand sales so when they think of it that way it comes, I think it would come naturally for them to be. Oh yeah, well, I should only, I should only hire the people in my network that I completely, you know, trust because these salespeople are going to be magical with persuasion; mm-hmm. they'll be able to uh, tell me anything. And then I should also, oh, man, they're already good at that. Just give them a couple of sell sheets and let them go. And I think what you know we're incredibly aligned on is this: is that is the opposite of generally what uh, people need for for sustainability and durability of their business, right? They need to treat it with the same the same rigor. I mean, uh, for example, you sell all the time, I know with uh, engineering and technical companies, right? So they need to treat with the same rigor uh their sales onboarding, hiring, their sales processes, all that that they do if they're making new products. But I do get I think that that perception that the salesperson oh it's just got to be a great talker somebody that can talk and light yeah. up a room and and come in and yeah be able to you know schmooze that's what we need <laughs> that's just that's what we need and they're going to be good at it regardless regardless um but that is that's dying that that reality is dying it may have once been the reality but it's not right now
1: yeah yeah so absolutely absolutely right and what's interesting is when you Talk about someone who is likable and is good with folk, that I think that's I mean, that's great. You need interpersonal skills, regardless of what career you're in. Like, mm-hmm. even if you're not in sales, you need that. But what we found is some of the sales data that we embark on, because we work with sales teams and we're able to use a data-driven tool where we can look at the kind of the gaps and, around sales competency and what the opportunities are. One of the things we look at is whether someone has a deep need for approval and whether that, whether they they like to be liked, for instance. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked, but we find that sometimes that need for approval and wanting to be liked all the time holds can hold a salesperson back from actually challenging, asking great questions, asking enough questions within with that prospect. And especially with B2B sales, if it's quite a complex sale, you might be using a consultative selling approach. That might be what you need to really identify what that challenge is so that you can Provide the right solution. Because it's not just off the shelf. You really need to have an understanding of the challenges so that you can provide the best solution. So if you are someone who is overly interested in being liked, you can see how you might hold back from really doing what you need to do, which is challenges. Like, are you are you sure that that process is currently working? You mentioned before that, you know, X, Y, Z happened, and that shows me that it might be a gap, blah, blah, blah. But if I'm worried about being like, I might hold back from asking those questions, and it does separate a great, you know, a good salesperson person from a great salesperson. That whole deep need for approval and 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 being liked. So it's almost like turning it on its head. Is yeah, they're good with folk, but we need to understand what that means. You know, are they good with folk because they're great at listening? Are they good listeners? This is an underrated skill, for instance. Are they listening to those cues, um, or are they just saying what the prospect wants to hear so that they can close the sale. So that can mean different things. And so it's really getting under the hood of that. What does it mean to be good with people? And how is that translating into great sales and great relationships based on trust?
0: So if we were going to dive in and we're going to say, okay, we'll give you a scenario, 30 million. We're talking a lot of small, medium businesses here. So 30 million pounds business, whatever that is conversion wise into dollars these days. And they're ready to take that next step. They're ready to take that next step. And they're, they're an engineering or an owner back business that's thrived to that point, just because they have a rainmaker and that guy can sell, uh, or or gal can sell like what, uh, we got to break that perception of, yeah, just go to your network and find the nice person that you can work with. Like, how do you, how do you coach those business owners to really go about a thorough investigation of what they need as a sales leader? And, you know, who is the person to bring on?
1: Yeah. It's a great question because sales is quite misunderstood a lot like marketing to some degree where, you know, I remember when I first came into marketing and some people would just tap me on the shoulder and ask me if I've got the little brochure, It's like, well, I don't do the brochures, okay? I do strategic marketing, but I don't create the brochures. And I think sales can be a little bit like that, where there are different aspects of sales and nobody is good at everything. You might kind of get a sense of all of it. And depending on what your current role requires of you, you will get better at certain things over time. So, you know, we see situations where a salesperson's done really well in a previous company, um, hitting their numbers big time, and then they get hired by a new company, and they're doing poorly. And people are wondering what will happen. Was really it was a superstar? She was a superstar in that other company. And sometimes it could be that in that previous company they had a, a bunch of legacy accounts, right? Accounts that they didn't actually start that relationship. They were they were given those accounts, and they're good at upselling and cross-selling and taking care of existing customers. And that's why they've done really well. You've now brought them into a sales role where you're requiring them to enter new markets to start relationships from scratch to go and sell a brand new product. And you can see how they would struggle with struggle with that. And so part of what you know we talk about with companies is really thinking deeply about what they need the salesperson to do. Because you can have a salesperson, an out and out salesperson that you want to do hunting and prospecting type type work. And you might have someone who you want to do more account management know in a type work so it's really understanding what you need in your organization and it's good to have a mix because your account manager might not be great at the prospecting hunting piece and vice versa so we sit with business owners and say what are your goals for your business what are you trying to achieve are you trying to grow your market share in in an existing an existing sector are you trying to enter new sectors you know what is your key lead generator at the moment because sometimes. You might not need someone to go out and actually bring in new leads. You might have another channel. Maybe you've got robust marketing, a robust marketing function. You might have another channel that brings in those leads, but you need those salespeople at the co you know at the co face to you know put your arms around that lead and qualify it and have a good understanding of whether this is actually a prospect or lead that they can actually um, take on based on the resources and the capability and the technology or whatever of of the company. So. That qualifying piece would be key, for instance. So it's really, you know, asking the business, what is it that you need this person to do day to day? And we've got that data-driven tool that can identify, you know, configure it and say, okay, you need more of a hunter actually within the sales role, not necessarily an account manager, for instance. So you're looking more for a hunter. So when people apply for that role, we can get a sense very early on whether this person is the right fit. Right. So it's not whether they're it's not about your bad salesperson and you're a good salesperson. It's whether you're the right fit for what this company needs. And I think with sales, companies don't often think about what they really need the person to do. They just think, oh, we need more sales. So let's hire a salesperson. What does more sales mean? What do you mean by that? Do you mean brand new sales that you've never from people you've never heard of? Or do you want to grow the existing account? Or do you want to enter a new market? What are you actually looking for? And then you can better understand who you need to hire.
0: Sounds like you're taking a jobs to be done type approach with defining what has to actually be, has to happen rather than, and then hire to that instead of hiring for sales as a generality or hiring in the network or hiring the nice person. It's, it's like, what do we actually have to do and to accomplish? And then, and I, this is just me, but I, I think I've found that if you can match that person to what generally needs to be accomplished, You're usually finding, you're usually finding a cultural fit because that person will also, that person becomes focused on what they need to accomplish. So if if I need something to be a need a great account manager to drive uh, revenue through that person, that person, if if that's defined really, really well upfront, I have a much better opportunity of finding somebody that's a good cultural fit than saying, oh, they need to be a cultural fit first, then hiring just a good cultural fit. What's what's your opinion on that? Because I yeah. there's people that go both ways.
1: I know it's it's a tough one. It really is, Paul, because I've spoken to people who've said, look, we don't want to use tools to, you know, identify people who've got the right sales competency. We just look for cultural fit and everything else will fit in. You know, everything will fall into place. I think as a salesperson and also being an employer of people, I would say it depends. I think sometimes, especially with, with smaller SMEs, there's this chronic, you know, let's hire nice people, let's hire nice people. Um, and that's fine if you want to just, you know, you just want to move along slowly and nicely. But if you're looking for a step change, then it's really finding that balance, making sure that you have a good understanding of what you need to achieve within your business. And to be fair to SMEs, I think that often they're navigating these waters on their own, you know, quite blindly and not with a lot of support. And there's not a lot of access to this sort of knowledge. And so they just know that they need to sell more and they need to get folk. And so they don't necessarily think about what it is exactly they want to achieve. They just know they need to grow sales. So to answer your question, I think it's a balance. I wouldn't say cultural fit doesn't matter, but I think having someone who's competent and somebody who Matches what it is that you need to achieve for your business, and they are passionate. They're passionate about your company. They're passionate about what you sell. They have experience and knowledge in what you need them to do, and they want to do it. I think to your point, largely you'll find that there is already a fit there, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there's ways for testing for other things around, you know, the way we work around here and some of the deeper cultural aspects of your business is something that you can you can you can test for. But I I think that it's damaging to hire purely for cultural fit when the competencies are not there. Because what, what could end up happening is you just have a team of people who are very much the same. Um, and I had a manager who used to call it navel-gazing, right? You're just kind of looking looking at our navels <laughs> and, um, and no one's like looking up. It's like, it, it's fun. It's a place, great place to hang out. But are we actually making breakthroughs as an organization, mm, probably not. And so it's getting that diversity in and not being afraid of bringing someone in who's different. It doesn't mean they're not a culture of fit, actually. It just means that they see things differently. But to your culture, they still treat people with respect. You know, they still tackle challenges, you know, in front of the person rather than going behind. So they still, mm-hmm. it's still a culture of fit, but they think differently. They're they're different. And that's what you need. You don't need a team of people that are just like you. So I think it's finding that balance, which I mean, I know I'm making it sound like if it's easy. it's not, and sometimes you know you go through a few different people people, different scenarios um before you you get the right fit, but it's to think of those two things at the same time, not one or the other.
0: I think that's I think that's fantastic. so you you are busting up uh, perceptions, I think very well of what of what people need to succeed, right? We don't because we don't need sameness, we don't need. We don't need just nice people. We, we generally, when we're at that point in in transform, in a transformation area of the business, I mean, what gets you there likely won't get you to the next spot. And driving that at testing is is magical when it comes to good salespeople and helping them go through that. So, how do people find you when uh, they when they want to reach out? You get me?
1: Yeah, Dakaru. So. Um... To get in touch with us, if you go to doqaru.com, and dqaru is spelled D-O-Q-A-R-U, um, you find out a lot more about us and you feel free to just email us um, on LinkedIn as well. So just feel free to search. Fortunately, I'm the only Yekemi Otaru in the world, as far as I know. So if you search me up, you you absolutely find me. Do look out for our sales research that we've, um, well, we're just in the process of completing and that's going to be out week of um, May 15th. And we interviewed 12 sales and uh, business leaders. And we really got to, we got to the bottom, three interviews, we got to the bottom of how they identify sales skills that they need in their organizations, what they're currently doing around hiring. And there've been some really interesting observations. So there are nine key observations and we provide some recommendations as well. So if you follow our Ducaro page on LinkedIn, you'll get a notification once that report is out. It's completely free and it would be great to get some of your reactions.
0: Awesome. And I'll we'll put the link in in the pod as well just so we make sure that everybody has has it. We'll put the link in the pod description cuz that's going to be fascinating, absolutely fascinating research. And uh want to make sure we get in the hands of anybody anybody that wants it. And uh, you can always email email me too at uh, dot com, and I'll I'll make sure that I get you in touch with Akemi. So all right, any final words of wisdom for the
1: for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where you are when it comes to sales, whether you're running a business and looking after salespeople or you're a salesperson yourself. But I want to say, if you are taking care of salespeople or you're a salesperson yourself, you're doing good work. And I'm really encouraging you to seek out that support, seek out training, seek out mentoring around sales, because it's really... fascinated profession and any business, any industry needs good salespeople. So feel free to reach out and take, you know, take advantage of those resources out there. Paul, you know, getting in touch with Paul and myself, but yeah, it's just to encourage you because I don't think salespeople are encouraged enough and you don't get enough high fives. So that's my virtual high five for you. Thank you. I love
0: it. I got to figure a way to get that to the front of the podcast. So everybody gets (laughs) that right at the beginning. So that's, that's some awesome energy to end on. Some great energy to begin with. And uh, thank you so much for being on you, Camille. I really enjoyed
1: it. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it too.
0: All right. We'll talk soon, everybody. And uh, that's where we're going to end up for today. Have an amazing day. Keep shining bright. We'll see you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the art and science of complex sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying, enough, it's enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits, rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for the customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.